The Start On Demand. On demand. It's cold today, extreme cold. The wind chill reached minus 45 at the airport this morning. So CAA tells us they are expecting 1,600 service calls. Do you go to work when you're sick? A lot of us have sick days, but refuse to take them. We just tough through it. But what if you don't have sick days? We speak to a human resource guru on all things related to sick days. Wendy Williams has finally apologized to Adam Big Hill for her comments and gesture about cleft palates. And I'll tell you why rush hour is my nightmare. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 16th podcast for The Start. And before I forget, guys, I just got to get something off my chest here. I have no idea how people in this city who have to drive in rush hour every day, I don't know how they do it. Because I was at St. Boniface Hospital yesterday, and I left at 4.15, and I didn't get home in Osborne Village. It took me 45 minutes. I could have walked there faster. Yeah. There's something odd. right? Like I can never forget working at 201 Portage and looking down from about 345 to 530 p.m. You just think everybody leaving at the exact same time. And I was lucky because I didn't leave till seven until the show was done. Or now here on this shift, we're off by by, you know, noon. So you're not really seeing that. And now that it's cold and miserable, I feel like everybody just drives slower, maybe more cautiously. I'm not sure, but you can bet the trap. You don't want to be anywhere downtown. No. Today at that hour. It was awful. And then I put a, I just put that on Twitter. And then a couple of people said, uh, one guy said it took him 50 minutes to get from Maine and Higgins to the Norwood Bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80 minutes to get from, uh, I think, Logan and Maine to Kildonan Place. My so, and word. Was it still snowing at that time? Uh, then that in, that was probably it because I know the I know the roads have been lousy. So as you pointed out, people are driving a bit more cautiously. But still, yeah. Like I remember, I left the radio station in the summer uh, when I lived in St. Boniface. I left at four p.m. We're at Polo Park. It took me fifty-one minutes to get to Provence. Do you know how far it is from St. Boniface Hospital to where you live? Like a kilometer? It's under three kilometers. <laughs> it's 2.8 kilometers to be exact. You probably could and have walked faster. Take, I have walked it in 45 minutes. It should take you nine minutes to do that drive, according to Google Maps. That's how long it would take you to do it right now. So five times longer. That's crazy. Well, That's you, out of control. I would argue you can definitely expect more of the same today. No snow, but boy. It'll be cold, and you know you're going to see some stalled cars in the turning lane. No question about it. So, you know, I, I don't know I don't know the rule about warming up your car anymore. My kids always give me a hard time. Dad, are we going to go or what? I'm like, letting the car warm up. I want it to be happy when we're moving. <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people say with these new vehicles, you don't really need to let them warm up for any more than 90 seconds or Two cruel, minutes. Though? It does yeah. feel very cruel, and I value the relationship I have with my vehicle. When I wash it, I'm speaking to it. Do you feel better now? <laughs> These sorts it's of not things. A <laughs> it's, I know it's I, not I a know, plan. But you rely on it so much. That's why after eight o'clock, it's one of our questions for CAA. <laughs> I will. I will ask it. A. Yes. How long do I have to let it warm mm-hmm. up? But B. Does she think it helps if we talk nice to the car? Well, you've, uh, isn't the uh, kids in the hall that has the skit where they talk to the car? before they start it and you rub the 
dashboard and yes, come on now, come on, buddy, you can do this. And then inevitably, once you talk to the car, it does it does start. Mm-hmm. I think it's kids in the it, hall. There is a sketch here. Uh, kids in the hall uh, apologize to the car. I think that might be it. Is it a station wagon? Potentially, uh, I'm just pulling it up right now. I'm kind of reluctant to just put it. Uh, looks Kids like in the hall. Oh, come on! What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what do you think, producer Kyle? Think I should just turn think, this on? Put us in like a, a 0.5 second delay, Kyle. <laughs> well, it's okay. So this is, it, it appears to be. Uh, is that like a Trans Am or something? Is this a different skit or skit? All right. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I well, think so. I may have led you astray there, Brett McGarry. I apologize. Well, there, there's another one here, high-tech car alarm. We'll have to do some other. There's one called Pitiful Mechanic. Yeah, there's all kinds of kids in the hall sketches about cars, so we'll have to find this one. And if you know the, what it's called, let us know, 204-780-6868. Also, some cancellations, by the way, because of the cold. Yeah, and, and in our house last night, that was the big question. Will school get canceled because of the cold? The threshold in most places in Winnipeg for all of the Winnipeg school divisions, as well as those around Winnipeg, in the immediate area at least, is minus 35 temp, minus 45 with the wind chill. So it has to be one or the other, or both. Extreme cold in southern Manitoba and southwest Manitoba in particular, which is where we have our cancellations this morning. So for now, here's what we know. All Rolling River school divisions are closed. All southwest Horizon school divisions are closed. That's, of course, in the southwest corner of the province. And, of course, Brandon school division buses are not running outside city limits. That is what we know so far. If you're inside the city or one of those bedroom communities, the threshold is far colder than you might think it is. We went over this last night in my house. They're like, what? has to be minus 35 degrees or minus 45 with the wind. I don't think you'll get there today for most city or or uh, bedroom community divisions. And I think, Brett, we're, we're several degrees out from that. Well, and because it, it, yeah, it has to be at the forks, at the right? Forks, at the forks. Yeah, because at the airport right now, it's minus 33, feels like minus 45. So, there, so that would be technically... But that's not where they take the measurement from. The forks it was at the forks. Yeah, right? the forks is minus twenty eight. Feels like minus thirty five. So there's a ten degree difference on the wind chill there. <laughs> there's a bunch of school age kids blowing on the anemometer <laughs> right now at the forks, trying to get that wind up just a tiny bit higher so that it will register a higher wind chill. I suspect. What did you call it? An- anemometer. Anemometer. That's the wind. I believe that's the uh, the instrument that you use to measure wind. It's like the rooster. Anonometer. Anonometer. Far more scientific. Anonometer. Wow. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. An anonometer is a device used for measuring wind speed and direction. It is also a common weather station instrument. The term is derived from the Greek word animos, which means wind, and is used to describe any wind speed instrument used in meteorology. Nice pull there, Greg. Hey, Adam Bighill, the apology at last. Finally. Gets the apology. Yeah, very exciting stuff. I saw that on Twitter yesterday, and he he posted uh, he, that he forgives Wendy Williams. He thanked her for the apology. He spoke with our friends out at CKNW, so we'll play some of his comments throughout the show here on 680 CJOB, and we're hoping to speak to him, but his son, Bo, had surgery yesterday. Yeah, he had one of his first major uh, surgeries to start the process of repairing his cleft palate. I'm not sure how many he might need over the next months and years. We know we talked to some people in the past who have had that surgery, and there could be multiple, like dozens of surgeries, but I like to think that over the years we've made some advancements in technology. So, of course, Adam, Adam Big Hill was upset with the American talk show host who made the comments about 
people with cleft palates and kind of made that derogatory gesture. Do we have time to play a quick clip from That's Adam exactly about the apology? That's exactly what I was about to I ask. I can read Greg's mind. I have 28 seconds of Adam Big Hill in conversation with Linda Steele here, if you'd like. I believe everybody deserves second chances. I believe everybody has should have an ability to make a, a wrong right. And, um, you know, I'm glad that uh, Wendy and her show and, and everyone did that. So uh, it's a big positive. I mean, uh, the message was carried by many loud and clear. And um, I'm just so happy to kind of be in the forefront of leading it because of uh, how much passion I have for supporting the class community. And, um, you know, I just uh, feels great. I wonder if this apology came about because NBC and the Today Show finally talked about this yesterday. And so I wonder if the pressure ultimately ended up coming because another U.S. Mm -hmm. television network was talking about this. But Wendy Williams, really quick, on Twitter, at Big Hill 44, we're thinking about Bo today as he is in surgery. I want to apologize to the Clef community and in Bo's honor, our show is donating to Operation Smile and American Clef Palette and encourage our Wendy watchers to learn more and help support the Clef community. Do you use your sick days? Do you even get sick days? Subject of sick days came up yesterday during our conversation about this UK company in Swindon that's now giving its non-smoking employees an extra four days of vacation. The discussion branched off towards sick days and the proper use of them, and we got some feedback at 204-780-6868, such as from Uliana, who says, We have a right to our sick time. Employers or coworkers can't shame us for using them. And another text read, I worked at a company that encouraged us to be at work when you are sick and made it difficult to be paid if you were sick. They also have given time off if you have perfect attendance. So how it worked is people who were sick came to work or you used your vacation time mm. to be at home sick. And since I had started 40 years ago, it is a more repressive sick policy. And I am glad that I have since retired. That's from Susan. That's Thank ridiculous. Ouch. Ridiculous. I do feel the, you know, coming over here to radio, I don't think you two have ever, ever called in sick since I started. So that's in 19 months. I, either of you never called in sick as far as I can recall. No. And I've done it, I think, three times. And each time I felt a, a, such guilt. Not Good. because you guys make me feel that way. Yes. But because yes. the culture is that you come to work. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think that that's because we have a boss that's saying that I just think that the work ethic is super super strong but you do feel that like I you know you start to think am I the only one that's doing this well, and then you feel better you're like oh so and so called and sick the next day <laughs> Whew, like I'm not the only one because because I genuinely uh, and I, this could just be our generation or whatever it is you don't call in sick I've come to work with strep I've come to work and thrown up in a waste paper basket I've come to work and run to the washroom many times like you don't do it but I, to what end well, in some industries, the show must go on is sort of a hypothetical. In this industry, it's quite literal. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to be here to speak into the microphone, and sometimes that person is you. We are very fortunate in the setup that we have that there's three of us, and we can count on one another. And, of course, if you ever need to take a sick day, by all means, do it. But Jeff Courier has been battling a cough for weeks now. And, but he knows that part of the issue around here is that we don't necessarily have someone that can jump in and, and take over a show depending on who's available to do that. So sometimes the industry you're in forces you not necessarily mm -hmm. to up the work ethic, but the point is if you're going to work in that industry, sometimes you have to. 
just because there's snow um, up to your neck, we all realize that the goal is that is to be here no matter what. When we're, I worked, we're breaking trail quite often. When I worked in a call center, if I if I was sick, I didn't give a rip about. I felt no guilt calling in sick because I was just a you know a cog in the wheel. I was just a number. But here, yeah, as Loren mentioned, I haven't called. I think I have only called in sick twice uh, here at CJOB in 15 years. Mm-hmm. Once was for strep. It was just, it was, I couldn't speak. Right. Like I, I, it wasn't because it, it felt bad. It was because I physically could not speak. And I had that last year with laryngitis. Like my voice was gone. So I could come, but I'm just sitting here staring at you. Right. So yeah. that that defeats the purpose of even coming to work. So I so I had went to the doctor and got some medication. And then there was another time where I had uh, issues with my stomach. So I just, I had to stay home, but that's it. Uh, anytime I get a cold, and I have allergies already. Like, I'm basically allergic to life, I think. So, <laughs> do you have any allergies? Yeah, life. So when I get sick, it's pretty ugly. And I feel, I, I, I really do wrestle with this. Every time I get a cold, I wonder, should I be going to work or should I be staying home? Because I don't want to make other people sick. But as you pointed out, Greg, then the dominoes, at least historically, if I had to miss a shift, the dominoes would fall where someone would have to step in to fill in my shift, and then someone else would have to fill in that shift. But don't and- dominoes fall in another way? You come to work, then the domino falls, or the next person sitting next to you gets sick, or whoever touches that mic might get sick, or the keyboard, or all the rest. Like, the the idea is, and we heard it from the Medical Association last year, stop going to work when you're sick, because you're making other people sick. But I think it's only in the last few years that that message has started to get out. Because for so long, the idea was you tough it out. But now we're realizing that the consequences of toughing it out means that other people are going to get sick. You're taking it home. Your kids might get sick because we know those little germ bags are getting us sick Mm -hmm. when they're bringing stuff home from school all the time. And I mean that in the most affectionate way possible when I use the term germ bags in relation to our children. But they carry all these things and they may not even get sick. They may just be carrying the viruses and the colds and and the coughs and the bacteria and everything that they bring home with them. So I think it's only been in the last three, four, maybe five years where society on a whole has opened our eyes to the idea that we're all better off if you just stay at home. And But part of the problem, too, with the cold is I think you're contagious before you even start showing sure. symptoms. Probably. Yeah. Right? So you could make someone sick before you even realize but you're that's sick. Not, but that's not your fault. You don't know at that point. But, no. what, but what is the win of coming to work? So... And also, there's there's a whole other part of the equation. If you if you do have kids, and I can speak for this, I often use my sick days because they're sick, so I'm fine. But someone has to stay home sure. with the kids, and if it extends for that week, you're alternating with your husband or whatever. But what is the benefit of coming to work? If I come to work sick, no one's patting me on the back. But if I don't come to work when I'm sick. I'm worried that a boss or someone somewhere is tallying up a column on my sick days. <laughs> like, what is the win? We've been telling you in the last half hour about this temporary encampment used by a handful of Winnipeg's homeless will be coming down today on one of the coldest days of the year. You've perhaps seen it as you've driven down Main Street towards the downtown. It's a patchwork of tents and teepees that have been set up as a home of sorts for some Winnipeggers who maybe don't want to spend the night inside a shelter. But then on Tuesday, a fire destroyed one of those tents. A man who lives there says typically one person always stays behind to watch their belongings and manage any fires that might be used for warmth. Like the fire keeper wasn't supposed to leave and uh, I guess he did. Like, and that's how the fire started. 
As a result, the city says it has no choice but to dismantle these camps for safety. Again, that's going to happen at some point today. And there are outreach groups working to find anyone who have been using those tents and teepees another place to lay their head. Rick Lees is the executive director of Main Street Project. They're one of the groups that's working with this initiative today, and he joins us now. Good morning, Rick. Hi, good morning. Uh, we were saying this morning it, it's unbelievably cold out there. Some people might be shocked to hear that in these kinds of temperatures, are, are they actually still spending the night inside these tents? Uh, there are, and, and there are people that are out uh, around the city and other places too that choose to live uh, independently as much as possible. Um, our van patrol, which goes out in the evenings and uh, began uh, three years ago, uh, is there for the purpose of ensuring those folks are safe. Um, and have uh, sort of the life safety things that they need if that's the choice that they make. How many people are we talking about this particular location at Martha and Henry? Um, uh, The last count that I had was somewhere between six and eight. We're calling it home. Um, Having said that, um, most of them uh, accessed uh, various forms of services that were available to them. Uh, Some would access uh, food and uh, clothing and uh, supports. Our, Our outreach teams were there every day. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, we do, we work in a harm reduction model, and so our role is to ensure that they're safe uh, and that they're able to live the life that they choose to live um, in a way that's appropriate for them and, and for community. Rick, we've had conversations with you and other organizations to try and understand why someone would want to live like this, and 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 we I think we get it overall in terms of that independence and maybe not that reliance on the shelter system, and maybe there's a combination of services that are are being used in order to allow this to uh, perpetuate. But when we get into situations like we're in, weather wise, and then you add the additional danger of fire to try and stay warm inside of, of a clearly flammable material. At what point do, do we need to step in and say, this is for your own good, Rick? Well, and I think that's where uh, the city is coming from now. I mean, we work very closely with our partners, uh, both uh, Winnipeg Police Service, Winnipeg Fire Paramedic in the city. Um, and we do that in a collaborative manner. Uh, we're a social service agency. Our job is to make sure people are safe. And I think right now it's actually about just keep, keeping people safe. It's not really about the concepts of encampments and other forms of housing. This is just really about ensuring, ensuring as you said, uh, that, that everybody's safe. And, and in a society like ours, we have an obligation, all of us do, to make sure that everybody's safe. So this would be the same thing that you would do in any community. If there's risk, you'd mitigate the risk and try and ensure, though, that that's done in a respectful way. And that's the intention here, is just to ensure uh, that we work with that community so that they feel safe, dignified, um, and uh, at the same time, uh, you know, respond to the extreme cold and uh, and other things. Rick, any idea how many people are living on the streets who are having to live in this cold? Uh, Well, the last census that we did, there's uh, anywhere from 100 to 200 folks that just uh, are determined that they'd like to stay outside. Uh, it does come down to dignity and respect and independence and wanting to have that. Um, between the three large shelters in Winnipeg, we have a commitment that there's always space if people want it. Uh, but at the end of the day, that may not be ideal, and that's not what everybody's choice is. So then our next step is to ensure that we meet them where they are um, and ensure that they're safe in place. Um, so, again, I just want to point out that the the three large shelters, our commitment is to ensure there is space for people, there's services for people, and we believe there is. 
but we also have to respect choice. How, so how will this work today in terms of what, what's the timing and, and how will you help or your organization help move, move these folks, say, if they don't want to go into a shelter? Yeah, so many of the folks have already accessed services. I, I heard yesterday that well, one of the uh, individuals was able to access uh, EIA supports and is now going to be housed through our, our casework team. Uh, so that work is ongoing. It happens every day. Um, in this instance, uh, I can't really speak for the city's approach. We're there as a support. Um, and, and again, I want to reiterate that, that nobody here is going to move people. This will be simply vacant uh, uh, facilities that are unsafe and need to go. Uh, but it's not about um, uh, really displacing people. Um, it's it's about creating a safe space. Now, th- there's been that encampment that I see every single day, a couple times a day on the Disraeli Freeway uh, near Henry Avenue. And Rick, I got to ask you, how do we balance as a community? Because I got to tell you, it's incredibly unsightly. And I can almost live with uh, the structures that are being created, as long as those people are safe. Now, I want to make that perfectly clear that that's my first priority. But there's uh, refuse, there's garbage, and there's stuff that's just being left uh, uh, lying around that is incredibly unsightly for the rest of the community. Once again, how do we find that balance? How do we how do we make sure that the garbage that's being created is getting moved away and taken away appropriately? Because there are no garbage cans around. There's no garbage or recycling cycling day for these quote-unquote residents. How, how do we balance that out as a community? Because for me, it's incredibly unsightly and bothersome putting the, the fact that there are, are human beings that are choosing to live this way. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I hear you, and, and I think the answer to that uh, question is that we have to have a, we have to look at our long game, and we have to make sure that we have a long-range plan. And that long-range plan, if we're going to provide people the opportunity to live in a way that they choose, is all of the things that we take for granted. You need to think about um, how do you manage waste? How do you manage sewage? That's a porta potty discussion or some form of discussion. Um, in, uh, a couple of weeks ago, our team, uh, my director, uh, Adrian Duick, and her team worked with the people living in the encampment on Henry, and they together cleaned the camp up. We didn't take the camp down, but we cleaned it up. So I think if we're, if we're going to invest in this sort of thing, it isn't just about putting up space. It's about building in all of the services around it. So I agree with you, but that's a, that means taking the long game view and also then investing in it and understanding that there's a cost to that and, and the three levels of government need to come together as well as community and think about how are we going to fund that. Rick Lees, Executive Director of Main Street Project, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Rick, thank you for this. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Greg, I saw you on TV yesterday. Are you looking to make a career change? No, no, absolutely not. You weren't watching that closely, if, if that's your assumption. Yesterday, we launched the Mega Million Choices Lottery in support of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, of course, the 2020 version. And as part of that launch, we met the Batters family yesterday, Brant and Janelle, their daughter, Carolyn, their twins, Emma and Frederick. Janelle so eloquently shared her family story and the arrival of their micro preemie twins at just 26 weeks. We went into preterm labor at 26 weeks and one day. That's how far along I was in the pregnancy and that's how old they were when they were born. Um, Frederick weighed 975 grams and Emma was just only two pounds. 
we were not sure if they were even going to survive. We found out three weeks before they were born that there's a high likelihood we'd go into preterm labor, and we even had, the had to have the conversation of, do we sign up for palliative care for our kids if they were born between 23 and 25 weeks, or do we uh, sign up for them to be resuscitated? Luckily, we made it just outside that um, very sketchy window, and they were born at 26 weeks and one day. And when they were born, they actually cried. We could not believe it. We were so surprised. They sounded like little kittens. Their voice was like, meow. So we were super shocked that they actually had enough lung capacity to do that. We didn't see them right away as we had been briefed by the uh, NICU team that once they were born, there were going to be two sets of NICU team members, and they would take them off into the room to make sure, you know, their care is paramount. The batters with just one of thousands of St. B stories lived every year at St. Boniface Hospital. Vince Barletta is president and CEO of the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. And Vince, you and I were in the room together. And when Janelle got to that point of her presentation, we both looked at one another and our shoulders did that whole slumping thing as if to say to one another, can you imagine being in their position? What a, what a powerful story, Greg, and, and Janelle and Brandt, uh, the, the, the newborns and Carolyn, uh, just an incredible story, an incredible family, and uh, it does make your heart sink to, to hear that, but at the same time, when you hear how it turned out, and you hear that those babies got out uh, alive and well before Christmas, uh, on the day of our Radiothon, in fact, uh, uh, Greg, when they'd, they'd been more than 100 days uh, in the NICU, uh, you know, it, it, it makes you feel really good about being a part of an organization like St. Boniface Hospital, when you hear those incredible stories and hear from uh, what those caregivers and, and medical specialists are able to do to support thousands of families all over Manitoba. It's a testament to what's being done there as well, that you would go through that turmoil and have your, those emotional highs and low. I mean, to, to have those babies come out at five months, essentially, and then to want to talk about it, which which goes to show how much the hospital means to them in terms of what it's done. Well, that's that's exactly right. You know, as soon as we approached uh, uh, Janelle and Brandon and said, look, you know, we, we heard about your story. Would you share your story? And uh, they were more than happy to do it. And we thank them for it because the reality is there are as, as incredible a story as that is and it is an incredible story it's not the only story there are thousands of stories like it that come out of St. Boniface Hospital tens of thousands of Manitobans that are supported by St. Boniface Hospital each and every year and not just in the NICU Nope. In the cardiac department, families that are supported through the palliative care uh, journey, and of course the incredible world-class research that happens at St. Boniface Hospital uh, as well. Well, my dad is is in the hospital right now That's at St. Right. Boniface That's Hospital. Right. He had open heart surgery last week. How's he doing? He just he got he was released from intensive care yesterday. Oh, he good. was in the ICCS for five days, and the care that he received there was just extraordinary. They took such good care of him, and he's in great spirits now. So uh, we always say you know, everyone will be touched by this hospital at some point in their life, and now uh, my family has been touched, and I'm so grateful. But you wouldn't be able to provide that care if not for the generosity of Manitobans. Well, that's exactly right. I'm so glad to hear that your dad's you know, uh, well on his way to that healing journey. I know we were talking yesterday about how he's doing, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that. But you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. The foundation of the Mega Million Choices Lottery is such an incredibly important part of how St. Boniface Hospital gets supported by the community. Since we started this lottery in 2012, over $15 million mm. has been raised for patient care and research uh, at St. B. That's supporting the cardiac sciences program. That's supporting uh, the, the, the NICU and other programs around the hospital. So if you were ever looking for a time 
to support St. Boniface Hospital, and you're saying to yourself, what can I do to give back? There is no better way than supporting the St. B Mega Million Choices Lottery. StBMegamillionChoices.ca is the website. Seven grand prize choices, including $1.2 million cash. Sounds pretty good to me. And it's tax-free cash. And here we are. We've had a conversation essentially about the lottery, and we are only going to mention the prizes once. How do you get tickets? You get tickets. StBMegamillionChoices.ca is the website. Uh, you can also give us uh, give us a call, 1-855-256-7203. Visit us at St. Boniface Hospital, the Foundation Office, St. Vitale, London Drugs, Red River Co-ops, and Select Shoppers Drug Mart locations. Thanks, Marletta, President and CEO of the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Can we use the cold as an excuse? Let's just blame it on the cold because it is super cold. And Loren McNabb, you can blame the cold if your car doesn't start today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what at least 600 people were doing. 616 people exact yesterday calling CAA for help. Most of them because their car wouldn't start in this cold. By the end of the day today, CAA expects to see almost triple that. About 1,600 people they expect will likely call in today just based on past Extreme cold events uh, calling in because those cars, they do not like this cold. Caitlin First is the Director of Corporate Communications, and she's going to share a few tips for us. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning. How are you? We're good. Luckily, I've got my car in a garage. I'm not going to comment on Greg's garage situation, but I don't have to plug mine in as a result. What's the general rule for the rest of us? If you have a new car, do I worry about it, or should we all be plugging in if we're parked outside in the cold this time of year? Yeah, so we do recommend that at about negative 15 degrees Celsius or colder that you're plugging in your vehicle. Uh, the block heater really does help to make sure that the engine components are staying warm and generally less wear and tear on the vehicle. So if you want your car to start up in the cold, that's a great first step. It's about getting the car to start in the morning, but is it actually, you mentioned, just good for the general health of the car? Is it better for its longevity if we just keep that going throughout the winter? Yeah, absolutely. And and general battery health is something that many people don't have top of mind. But it's important for people to know that batteries are actually not lasting as long as they used to. Uh, These extreme temperatures are taking their toll on batteries. And also we have a lot more electronics in vehicles. So we find that the average battery tends to last about three to five years, but that is reducing. So it's important to get your battery checked and to have those great uh, maintenance uh, tips. So there's two components here. Plugging in your car will keep the oil warm and and sort of pliable so that it'll start up. But like you mentioned, the battery, I think sometimes people real or don't realize that's a, a bigger part of the equation uh, than uh, than the oil at times. Absolutely. And um, we've had a huge increase in battery calls over the last few years. And um, what you don't realize is that when the temperature dips below freezing, if you have a weak battery, that can actually already lose about 35% of its power. And that's really just below freezing. So when we get into these really, really cold days, especially cold, cold days one after the next, if you've got a weaker battery or an older battery, chances are you may run into an unexpected failure. Here's a question. Obviously, this today wouldn't be the day to do this, but I'm a member of CAA and I got my new battery from you guys a couple of years ago. If I'm curious about my battery's life, can I just call CAA to get it tested? Absolutely. We, we definitely test batteries and uh, we can replace them, uh, as you said, as well. And what's great is that if you are a member, you can also get a discount on your battery. So lots of great uh, ways to do that and to make sure that you are planning ahead so it's not too inconvenient. 
And as far as letting our car warm up, mm. do you know how long we're supposed to let it warm up? Yeah, so often people will let their car warm up for longer than they need to. If it's really, really cold, you don't need to let your car heat up for more than two to three minutes. Uh, you do want to make sure that there's enough warm air coming out of the vents to clear your windshield and making sure that your windows are cleared of ice and snow so you can see and have good visibility. Um, and another really important thing for people to be thinking about with, with uh, starting your car is with remote starters because those leave a vehicle running typically for five to ten minute cycles uh, before shutting down. And those usually go for two cycles or so before they turn off completely. But it's really, really important if people are using their remote starters, especially during this cold, um, that you don't want to leave your vehicle running unattended. So, mm. you know, preventing theft and making sure that um, that you're they're taking care of that. Well, Greg and I both thought this morning our cars have feelings. And yes. so we wanted to let them warm up <laughs> just because we felt like they'd be sad if they weren't uh, appropriately warmed. But before we let you go, I, I want to let our listeners know if you do call CAA today, how do you triage the calls? Because it doesn't make sense to let the people who have a car outside their nice warm home get service if somebody's on the side of the road. I presume you go to the ones out in the cold first? Yeah, so we actually have a pretty sophisticated predictive analytics system that we use, um, and that helps us to position trucks when and where we think uh, breakdowns are going to occur. So that does help us with positioning and making sure that we're getting to people quickly, especially in emergency situations. But you're absolutely right. We do prioritize people who are in unsafe situations out on the side of the road and in the elements. So um, if you are at home safe and, and, and you have the need for a battery boost, for example, you may be waiting a little bit longer than um, than someone who's out on the side of the road. And I think generally our members can understand that, you know, safety first. And as an emergency roadside organization, we're really prioritizing safety and, and making sure everybody gets home safely. One last stat, Caitlin, if you can. How many vehicles will you have in service today? How many vehicles with that CAA logo out and about? I don't have that right in front of me, but I can tell you that it's definitely going to be the uh, the full fleet. Uh, these are big, big numbers for us. So on an average winter day, we'll do about 300 to 400 uh, calls across Manitoba. And as you mentioned at the top of uh, this discussion, we expect to have about 1,600 calls today, probably the same tomorrow and, and pretty close to that the following day. So it's going to be a busy few days in a row. Caitlin First, Director of Corporate Communications for CAA Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Caitlin, thank you for this. Thank you. And on this, oh, I cut, I cut you off there, Caitlin. Uh, and I tried to bring her back. Caitlin's on and I very first up. visit with us yet. Yeah, and I we cut want her, her to come back, so we'll just invite her back. <laughs> you know, on our next cold day, because I imagine we'll have a few more. Yeah, it's going to be bad. And Ray made this comment on the subject of uh, warming your car mm-hmm. up. He texted us earlier this morning saying, I have always asked those people who say you don't really need to warm up your car first <laughs> to jump out of bed first thing in the morning and run the 40 in 4.1. Exactly. Like, can't you feel your car groan? Like, it yes. feels like the car is like, just give me a second. I'm not there yet. Come on, man. You know, like I haven't had a cup of coffee. You gotta wait. Perfect analogy for coffee. You don't start your day without a cup of coffee. Right. You wouldn't want to start your day completely ice cold, frozen like a giant block of ice. We shift now to a story which clearly means a lot to Manitobans, whether they're football fans or not. It's our number one story at CJOB and globalnews.ca, even ahead of school cancellations, which is typically the number one story by a long shot on a day like today. Adam Big Hill's week-long demand for an apology from an American talk show host 
finally came to fruition yesterday afternoon. Where else but on Twitter? By now, you likely know that Wendy Williams, in an attempt to convey her affection for Joaquin Phoenix, mentioned a scar on his upper lift, which is there since birth from a microform cleft. She then mimicked anyone who has or was born with a cleft cleft lip or palate by putting her finger and sort of making this gesture, pushing up her upper lip. On the very day Adam and Christina's Big Hill son, Beau, had surgery to help repair his own cleft lip and palate, Williams apologized late yesterday with these words on Twitter. Linda Steele at CKNW in Vancouver managed to connect with Adam last evening at her time, and Wendy's apology said, we're thinking about Beau today as he is in surgery. I want to apologize to the Cleft community and in Beau's honour. Our show is donating to Operation Smile and Amher Cleft Palette, and we encourage our Wendy watchers to learn more and help support the Cleft community. Here's Adam on what she had to say. I'm going to bring in Adam Big Hill right now. Adam, I'm going to read you the tweet. We're thinking about Bo today as he is in surgery. I want to apologize to the cleft community. And in Bo's honor, our show is donating to Operation Smile and the American Cleft Palate Craniofacial Association. And we encourage our Wendy watchers, her fans, to learn more and help support the cleft community. Wow, your reaction. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's great. I mean, it's... You know, it's kind of it's it's what we wanted. Um, you know, I mean, just uh, you make you make a mistake, and to be able to apologize and move forward, and um, you know, just make things right. I mean, um, I believe everybody deserves second chances. I believe everybody has should have an ability to make a, a wrong right, and um, you know, I'm glad that uh, Wendy and her show and and everyone did that. So uh, it's a big positive. I mean, uh, the message was carried by many loud and clear, and um, just so happy to kind of be in the forefront of leading it because of uh, how much passion I have for supporting the cleft community. And, um, you know, it just uh, feels great. Are you disappointed it took so long? Uh, you know what? The way things work right now, uh, big business, uh, media, you know, making sure you're crafting responses clearly, thinking things through. Uh, generally, it, it takes more and longer than you want. I mean, it's just just is the case so um you know i'm just happy it, it came and and it's not about me it's not necessarily about Bo. i'm, I'm thankful that she uh, or was able to include Bo in her tweet but at the end of the day it's not as much about us it's about everybody and uh the whole community as a whole i mean with everybody who shared their stories with me um you know those are the things that uh, really empowered me to continue going because of how many people i was helping support and um, you know, so for her to be able to apologize, is, you know, not just me, not just Bo, but to everybody. And, you know, that means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I think it's great. How is little Bo doing after the surgery? <laughs> he woke up a little cranky, uh, a little groggy. Um, but right now we're just doing uh, some syringe feeding with him and uh, we'll be doing that for two weeks. And, you know, he's taking to it really well. So um, it's a positive sign that we'll be able to, you know, just spend one night in the hospital and be able to take him home. The fact he's eating well and and doing good. So, um, you know, all positive here. And then just to thank you to everybody who's reached out and gave us their love and their support and their thoughts and prayers. Um, you know, it just means a lot. Um, you know, it's just it, it's really special. Adam Big Hill from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in conversation with Linda Steele at CKNW in Vancouver. And if you want to see a picture of little Bo, we have put it on our 680 CJOB Instagram story, post-surgery Bo. And uh, the first of what could be many surgeries, I guess, but looks like this first one was a huge success. 
Do you use your sick days? Do you even get sick days? Subject of sick days came up during our chat yesterday about that UK company that's now giving its non-smoking employees an extra four days of vacation. The discussion branched off towards sick days and the proper use of them. We got lots of feedback at 204-780-6868, and we have some questions about sick days. So we turn to human resources guru Barbara Bowes from Legacy Bowes Group Live on CJOB. Barbara, good morning to you. Hey, good morning. At least it's sunny, even though it's cold. Oh, that's a positive spin on it. I like it. We obviously have a lot of questions about this. Um, If we have, and I said this this morning, you know, you feel that guilt when you call in sick. If we have them, how do we shed that guilt so we're not feeling bad about using our days that we might have available? Well, I think, first of all, you should not feel guilty if you're really sick. If you're using your sick day, as an excuse to stay home, then, yeah, I'd like to see you be uh, guilty. But you are entitled under employment standards to three days of unpaid leave and a year. And then pretty well every employee employer in Manitoba has a set of uh, sick days paid, and it could be three and it could be as high as five. But it's an, it shouldn't be seen as an entitlement to use it all the time. It's there for safety. So it's not an entitlement, and and people, when they see or feel that it's an entitlement, they'll use every darn one of those uh, sick paid sick days and the unpaid just because they want a day off per month. And that, you know, that's really, really hard to manage. Chronic absenteeism is what we call it. So, Barb, on one hand, I think uh, what you say is true with regard to guilt. I would like to see more people feel guilty that abuse those sick days. But the people who feel comfortable abusing them don't feel guilty. And the people who call in sick when they're really sick and don't do it very often even when they're hacking and sneezing and sick in bed, are feeling guilty the entire time. So that's a, that's a problem uh, for another conversation, I think. But the idea that there are uh, organizations that do have a very generous sick day policy or maybe a personal day policy, and you have some people within that organization that choose to abuse it, is that... Uh, a, a genuine HR issue? Do you have a morale issue? Do you have a culture issue within your organization if you have people who are abusing this on a constant basis? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, from the morale uh, perspective, if a manager doesn't deal with it right away, it's going to continue it. And we have to remember, everybody's watching. So when, when a manager is not dealing with it, you've got people that are covering for your job or we have to call a, a, an outside worker. It's a real big financial issue for us. And your employees see that. And in action, they see that. So morale may go down and it's going, morale is going to go down too. If I have to do your work for you time and time again, and I'll bet a bottom dollar here that when, when that individual calls in sick, there is no direction on how to do that person's work. So I'm scrambling trying to do your work without proper instruction, etc. And I'm going to be really angry. So morale is going to go down, anger is going to go up, and, and disrespect um, it isn't really disrespect of the boss, but um, it, it's, you, you don't respect the boss because they won't do anything. So it, it, it's a real problem, morale, culture, and you name it. Now, Barbara, the three of us, uh, we mentioned earlier this morning that when we're sick, we tend to come into work anyway. I've, I think I've taken two sick days in 15 years that I've worked here at CJOB, but I'm kind of wondering, should I be coming to work when I'm sick? Okay, let me answer that in, in, in two ways. Number one, the pr- people that come to work sick are usually 
very dedicated, very loyal workers, and they love their job. So they don't want to be away. However, we are saying to people, when you come to work and you are sick, then you're spreading your illness to everybody else, and that's going to have a bigger uh, damage to the company than just you being away away sick. But that's what I find is most people who are really loyal and love their job uh, will come to work when they are sick. We want you to stay home and get better quickly. You mentioned the rights of workers, and in this province you can have three unpaid sick days and that most companies have some sort of sick leave policy or sick day policy, rather. But I was shocked this morning to hear the number of people who wrote in or, or sent us Twitter messages about the fact that they don't have sick days at all, that there is no such thing. And that seems to me that that can't be right either, that, that as much as there might be people who abuse the system, there has to be some or better allowances made in the workplace so that people can at least have two or three paid days a year for being sick. Yeah, and and there are definitely companies that don't have sick leave. They will rely on the three days unpaid, which is law. They have to give you that. But unpaid. Um, I'm I'm arguing there should be a couple paid days per year. Yeah, and and I agree with you, but a lot of those companies maybe can't afford it. They're usually more uh, traditional, old-fashioned companies. Uh, But I can bet you, too, that if they're not offering some sense of sick leave paid, that their turnover is probably really high. They can't attract the right kind of people that are going to be dedicated and loyal because those kind of benefits, people want those benefits today. Younger people want them even more than the baby boomers. So it's a recruitment and retention tool, and it's unfortunate that they don't see it that way. And I can tell you they probably don't have an HR manager as well. So there's probably other problems there too. So is that a good uh, place to negotiate if you're you're looking for a new position or you are offered a new position? Is it important that you negotiate those things ahead of time, Barb? Usually they're not negotiable. They're written into policy. And most companies have more than just sick leave. They've got parental leave. They've got flexible work schedules. There's a lot of alternatives that are available in today's workplace that because it's policy, it's open and available to everybody. So most people don't try and negotiate that. They may negotiate uh, an extra week holiday, but usually sick leave per se is not negotiated. Barbara Bowes from Legacy Bowes Group joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you as always for the time, Barb. Much appreciated. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks. It's cold. Extreme Mm -hmm. cold morning. Well, Turns out, Loren McNabb, that that might not necessarily be a bad thing when it comes to encouraging physical activity. Yeah, and this isn't about, I think, getting out there when it's minus 50 and just walking around or minus 40. It's about taking a look at the places that we walk or run and putting renewed focus on the rivers when they're frozen. So Dr. John... McGavock is with the Children's Hospital Research Institute, and he's in, he and his team spent the past three winters looking at our river trails, particularly at the forks, and just how often we're using them, and kind of the critical role that they've been playing in keeping us physically active, and he joins us now. Good morning, John. Good morning. So what was the impetus for this? Why did you decide to go down this road? Actually, believe it or not, it was uh, me running on the trail um, about four or five years ago. And uh, looking at the number of people that were out there and realizing that these are not your regular, uh, typical exercising people. You know, they're not uh, wearing their Lululemons. They're not uh, in their bike gear. These are just people that are going out there loving the river, loving being outside and loving this uh, unique thing that the Forks was developing for our city. So I've skated the river trail multiple times. I think it's absolutely incredible, but have also noticed people that are using it as a genuine transportation corridor in the winter. 
Yeah, a lot of people actually said that uh, that's how they prefer to get to work. Uh, if you're on a bike, it keeps you away from cars. If you're running or walking to work, it's really peaceful way to get out there. And what it's providing the city is something that goes beyond just an individual choice. A lot of times after the holiday season, we're asking people to make healthier choices and we're putting the impetus on the person. But at the population level, what can the city do to say, hey, let's let's encourage everyone to get out there and have a good time. And for us, this was the most unique opportunity to study something very, very Winnipeg and very, very uh, Canadian. And we were really proud to uh, to get it done. So in this research, Walking on Water, a natural experiment of a population health intervention to promote physical activity after the winter holidays. What kind of stuff did you find? So really interestingly, we set up uh, a couple of um, laser beams at the forks to track people coming down onto the main entryway onto the skating trail. Laser beams? Found, yeah, little laser beams. So they actually count, uh, they count people as they come down. Um, similar to, actually, if you drive into the forks, they have one up there right now for bikes that counts bikes. So if you come in off of Main Street, they have a little counter. And that counter um, told us that over the 10 weeks that this trail is open, 200 to 250,000 people walk down onto the river when it's there. Wow, that's incredible. That must be on par with numbers from the summer. Yeah, it's all it's equivalent to July. And people have these counters all over North America. And actually, what we're seeing at the Forks is higher than in any city uh, that's using these counters to track people who are being physically active out on trails. That's incredible. When you consider this year that we don't have those river trails up and running because of the fluctuating ice patterns, it's a real loss when it comes to not just, I was thinking on the entertainment value, but to hear that people are using it in the way that you describe, we're losing active transportation when we don't have those frozen trails. Yeah, we're, we're losing active transportation. We're losing recreational activity. Um, our weekends are very different. The Forks has done an amazing job. Uh, Dave Panko runs the, the group there. Um, they've tried, they've made a beautiful uh, skating uh, network right now. But people love being on the red and they love being on the Assiniboine. Um, and so, yeah, it is a big loss for us. And it's something that, that we need to consider. And we have lots of river. Are there other places other than the forks where we could do something like this? Well, I know in Chicago they're exploring the idea, and and this is a the Chicago River doesn't flow the same way as the Red River does, but maybe more comparable to the Assiniboine. It's a man-made river, so it's more controllable. So we want to you know be careful about what we're comparing here. But I know they're exploring the idea of a floating walkway and a floating bike path on the Chicago River to add another dimension, another option in terms of of active transportation. I think it's pretty frustrating when that river walk is closed, when, when it ought to be open uh, because Mother Nature uh, delivers too much moisture in the Red River Valley. Yeah, and it's, uh, there's an impetus there for us to be able to control those things. I know the height of, the, of Lake Winnipeg is also an issue, and all these things put together, I think, reflect uh, our responsibility for maintaining a climate. Um, and in this case... Uh, maintaining that climate and and doing the right thing for our waterways is something that we can look to for increased activity, but also just general enjoyment and mental and emotional well-being. So earlier this morning, uh, one of our reporters, Global News Morning reporter Malika Kareem, made a comment. You know, she said, she joked she can't imagine anybody wanting to be outside on a day like today engaging in physical activity, but it sounds like your research kind of flies in the face of that comment. You know what? It's incredible. We were out there last year uh, throughout the polar vortex, and and we've got the numbers to actually show it. Even when it's minus 30, 
there were still, you know, upwards of a thousand people coming out on a Thursday night to go for a skate um, or going down there to commute to work. Um, so it's unbelievable how in, in a, at normal times, no one would be out there. People would be really um, uh, afraid of going out or not interested in going out. But when you create something that unique, uh, that attractive, it brings people out even in the worst conditions. So what do and we... I'll guarantee you that tonight, if you go out into the forks, you'll see a few people out there skating. You'll still see people on those trails on the sides because you can still skate on lamb where they've created some of those great trails through the bushes that are beautifully lit up. But what do we do with these numbers in this research now? Does this tell you that we need to expand, that we need to change the way we look at our rivers, that we need to maybe add more active transportation on the rivers or at least next to them in the winter to provide people these opportunities? Absolutely. This is a, a pennies per person intervention. This, this intervention costs next to nothing um, at, the, at the level that we bring people in. So could we start expanding? Assiniboine Park has connection to the river. Kildona Park has connection to the river. St. Vitale has connection. St. Vitale Park. We have all of these opportunities where we could create novel river-based um, strategies to get people out there and active in, in their neighbourhoods. And the other thing we need to do is uh, attract people that don't normally come out. So in our surveys, we found that um, not many Indigenous people, not many new immigrants were coming out and using the trail. So what else could we do as a city to promote this unique experience so that everyone feels like uh, they're invited to participate? That's interesting observation because I'm not going to contradict uh, or, or pretend to know better than your research, John. But in my ex- personal experience, I'm typically blown away at the number of new Canadians that are lined up to rent skates at the Forks and to try it for the very first time. I don't think it would be all that difficult to to have those folks uh, really fall in love with this idea. Uh, absolutely. And I think... For a new immigrant coming to Canada, there is nothing better than, than lacing on a pair of skates and going for a skate on the river. And, and last night when I was running through the forks, that's exactly what I saw. There was a, a big group of, it looked like someone had organized something and it was new immigrants who were coming out and checking it out for the first time. So absolutely. And it's just a matter of us as a, as a city and us as a group at the forks reaching out to, to these uh, communities and saying, you know what, you're welcome here. Come check it out. This is a great part of living in Winnipeg. Ran through the forks last night. Minus what? What was it with the wind? It had to be close to 40. Good, good on you. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was minus 40. Yeah. That's <laughs> how I get to work. It, it clears my head so that I get home and I feel good. Well, in, in terms of like working out or doing anything physical when it is that cold, are there health concerns or things that we should be worried about in terms of pushing it too hard? Yeah, definitely. Um, exposure to frostbite is probably our biggest thing. A lot of times people uh, will say the Say the anecdote, you might freeze your lungs, but that that never really happens. Um, but you want to cover your face, you want to cover skin, exposed skin, because it will uh, it will freeze on contact. Um, there's some great uh, tips out there at your local uh, sports suppliers on how to layer up. But uh, having good layers, having multiple layers, and also making sure you're safe so that uh, you don't get stuck out somewhere where you've been exercising and you're wet, and now you're for whatever reason you get a flat tire on your bike or something happens and you you got to get somewhere safe. You just got to think about uh, making sure you're close to somewhere warm in case something does does happen. I've always been in favor of the idea of a hovercraft, either on the ice or on the water. But I'll make sure before I buy one, I talk to you, John. That these two ideas may not jive. <laughs> you know what? I've been up in a hovercraft up north in Island Lake. Uh, it is quite the experience, and I, I would love to see one out there on the river one of these days. John McGavick, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time, sir. 
Thank you very much, and uh, everyone out there, even though it's minus 30, get out and uh, get out and check out the forks and get out and have some fun. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.